All right, y'all. For this week, we're going to talk about numbers and the most important numbers to keep in mind, those being your GPA and your LSAT score. Definitely the most important numbers to keep in mind when you're applying for law school because it's all about numbers. Sorry to tell you. Unfortunately, truly. Unfortunately and truly. To the detriment of law school. Yeah, to the detriment exactly of the applicant pool. Exactly. But numbers, okay, so GPA, LSAT, where do you stand? Let's start first with the LSAT. Mm, That's a good one. So the LSAT is the most grueling test I've ever taken. It's exhausting. Probably the most important test of your law school career other than the bar. There are four components. There is logical reasoning, reading comprehension, analytical reasoning, and another logical reasoning. And then they also throw in that experimental section, which is very experimental for them, but not so fun and experimental for us because, like, it's just there. So in total, there's five, but only four of them count. Exactly. Each of these sections, you're given 35 minutes each to perform, and probably, I think, like, 25 questions each. Right. (laughs) So the LSAT is a race against time. Each section, you will be clawing for extra seconds to be able to read a question, read an answer, think through it, finish a logic game. So making sure that you're preparing to take the LSAT under timed conditions is extremely important. And I think that's my first piece of advice when preparing for the LSAT, is that you should be taking practice exams while studying, and that you honestly should take more than one practice exam because it's really hard for you to emulate just how much time pressure you're going to have in the actual testing environment if you haven't tried that multiple different times in your own experimental test environment. And to that point, experimental test environment, we mean simulated test conditions. So you definitely want to go in the library. You definitely want to have your watch. There are watches that are LSAT watches, and they will have 35 minutes on them, and they will just time it right for you. And you want to make sure that you can perform and you can answer all of those questions to the maximum of your ability within that time frame. They know that you can take the test with unlimited time. I mean, I, I mean, you can probably score a 180. And mind you, the test is graded from 120 to 180. And, and 180 being the highest and 120 being the lowest, you can probably make a 180 if you had unlimited time. And so they're making sure that you've internalized the processes and you're taking the test how they would take it. And so that means that you've learned the structure and the way of thinking that they want you to think. And so you've you've learned logical reasoning and you've learned analytical reasoning. And reading comprehension, honestly, that's just a, a whole new dragon. <laughs> Very much different from any other standardized reading comprehension section I've ever done. But they want to make sure that you can do it within a certain amount of a lot of time to make sure that you have these qualities that they're looking for when they want to measure whether or not you are going to be a good law student. Now, whether or not these qualities actually measure your inclination towards being a a successful law student, completely. Right, completely. He said, nah, completely arguable. But, you know, that's that's pretty much their logic. One other thing to think about when preparing for the LSAT is to treat it like kind of like an exercise regimen. It isn't an exam that you kind of just walk into and, and take. It, yeah. It, and and on, honestly, I wish I had learned that really early on, like even when I was preparing for the FAT. If people had told me that, I think I would have treated that exam differently too. I didn't even study for my ACT and I didn't even take the SAT, but I didn't even study for my ACT. But that's what I'm saying. Yeah, like a lot of us just walked right in, not having taken a prep course, not having read, literally just walked in like, all right, hey, I'm going to, you know, it, it looked like an like an aptitude test in that 
they're measuring your natural ability to understand these concepts. But that is definitely not true for the LSAT. No. The LSAT has a rhyme and a reason to it. Yes. That is really hard for you to understand if you haven't either read a book about it or gone to a prep course about Listen, it. Listen, and, and, and see, and that's another way that law school tends to, I think, discriminate against those coming from lower socioeconomic backgrounds. For sure. Because you kind of need a course. You do. Like, I cannot imagine having studied that LSAT and having gotten the score that I did without taking Blueprint LSAT. And this is not just that course, it's any other course, but these courses are very expensive. And then the course materials are expensive. Even if you were to self-study, the books are not cheap. They are very expensive to get the really good ones, the ones that are going to get you into the percentile that you need to be in in order to get into your dream school. And so there, I don't think that the tests themselves are natural indicators of your ability to succeed in the legal profession, but also the mechanism to which the test is delivered and executed, that's also problematic. For sure, for sure. When we're thinking about how to prepare, another thing to consider, and this is also kind of in the line of treating this like an exercise regimen, is that the words in these exams mean things. Every single word is there for a specific reason. There's not a single filler word in the LSAT exam, in that entire booklet. And that's why... It's weird and and annoying, honestly, to think about many of the concepts when preparing, but it also helps you to really think carefully about the words that you use. And and I think that is probably the only key takeaway when it comes to law school prep. So, for example, when you're looking at the words couple, some, and many, Mm -hmm. which are like (laughs) words that are used in the LSAT and logical reasoning, um, et cetera, and they have very specific meaning. When they say a couple, they literally only mean two, not three or four, but two, a couple. When they say some, there's like a range. It could be more than this, but less than that. When they say many, or when they say most, when they say most, they mean 51%. Right, yeah. or 50.1%, over 50%. It's a percentage-based description. So those words that we use commonly and we probably attach our own meanings to them or have a general understanding of what they mean have very specific definitional meanings when used in the LSAT. Yeah, I completely agree with that. It's good that you you referred back to your ability to use the things that you've learned on the LSAT to your law school experience now. And so I would love to do that same thing. I'm trying to, I've been sitting here trying to think about the things that I've learned from the LSAT and how I've applied them to law school. And I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Not, uh, not much. So from a law student's perspective, like looking retroactively at the LSAT, for those who are coming to law school, once you take that test, you're pretty much done with that. You're not coming to law school and have taking exams based upon like games and reasoning and stuff. Now, the one section that will help you if you're good at is the reading comprehension, because in law school, you are reading a lot of very dense <laughs> and um, no. yeah, very boring, I'll just say that for lack of better words, material. And you're going to have to retain a lot of the information that you read in order to to create your analysis when taking an exam. So those are that's very important. But other than that, you're gonna forget. I actually had fun um, doing the logical the game section. You enjoyed it, you said? Yeah, I did. Oh, it was, I hated like, it was that. like my best section. No, it was that like was my, definitely that was like my 23 worst. out of 23. My logical reasoning was definitely my best section. Um, the logical parts made more sense. But the logic games were 
it actually made me mad how really? d- like yeah because everyone says the logical the logic games are like the easiest the section the most learnable section right because you can you really can like memorize exactly well, what type of Well it's not that the game is how you're setting up the game so the game is not the game people always take the wrong approach to that they, they look at the questions and they start trying to solve the game by question by question they don't understand the game is in your setup and then how you're able to use because they give you all of these like random rules and they want to see that you can put those rules together in a way that you can answer the rest of the question super quickly by using inferences and in an, your analytical reasonings. So that's mm-hmm. like the game. Once I figured out that I'm supposed to be doing a setup in the beginning that's going to assume the answer to the rest of the questions. I was completely fine. Like mm. that, that's how I saw my games. That's how yeah. I saw my friends. But I like, hacked the games. I'm so happy. It was just not my type of formal logic. It was it was always extremely frustrating for me to understand. I always used to get like really annoyed because, like for example, the logic games will be you know you have seven people in a line. They're all wearing different color shirts. The fifth person's wearing a blue shirt. You know the between the the seventh person and the second person is a is a gray shirt somewhere. Yeah, you don't know yeah, where it you is. Do that. You, and I'm like, I don't care what shirt you're wearing. <laughs> no, but it's, not, but it's not so, about the details of the game. All you have to do, you right. have to take those rules and you have to set them up. Right. And, yeah, in in a way hindsight, that it makes sense. the rest of the game, like and, the rest of the questions, because it's like if, if you use those rules and you put them in your setup, and then you can kind of like fill in the rest based upon like what you're inferring from those rules themselves. It's, it's cool. In, in hindsight, <laughs> it makes sense. But I definitely, as a child, I played games and this did not feel like a game. Well, that's how I felt about reading comprehension. It was not a game for me it was definitely my worst section because and it's um, unfortunately the most unlearnable so that my logical reasoning was really really good I think that um, on the official exam I only missed three out of both logical reasoning sections so I was like 47 out of 50 and then games I was like my 23 out of 23 and then reading comprehension honestly I'm not even going to tell you because <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing like I was so happy that I enjoyed the games because I knew that that would offset my reading comprehension it's just like and the thing is I love to read I've read my whole life mm-hmm. that's actually like my thing I do when I'm not reading for law school I'm reading like good fiction stuff mm-hmm. I felt like I couldn't read. Like, See, I'm like, like relearning how to read. I was definitely like different. I used reading comprehension to offset my logic games. Really? So, my so logical you were reasoning, of, I'm so jealous. My like, logical reasoning was always like popping. Like I, they, after a lot of, lot of practice, obviously, I got yeah, that yeah, like done. For me, six months of practice. And then the reasoning. reading, for me too, the reading comprehension was kind of like a wild card because yeah. basically with the time constraints, they give you a, a full like passage, right? probably 500 words or so. And the problem with that, in trying to do the the reading comprehension section in the 30-some-odd minutes they give you, you honestly really didn't have enough time to read the paragraph each time. Yeah, exactly. Like, but that's the point. Okay, so what I learned was that the point is on reading comprehension, you have to skim the paragraph and treat it like a logical reasoning question. So you take the main point and the conclusion, just note the details, and keep it moving. Right, right. Other people, like, there were so many different techniques I had read about. First of all, people said some passages would be harder than others based either on topic or on length or even on how many questions they had. So people would say, you know, look at the passage that has the most amount of questions first and then do that passage, then go to the other passages and ra- almost ranking them in the order best accomplished or best completed. Yeah, I no, I wasn't doing that. I was just going to just jump right in. And just like you said earlier, it was a wild card for me because mm. some of them, some of them I was good, some of them like 27 out of 27, 25 out of 27, something like that. Some of them I'm like 20 out of 27, yeah. 18 out of 27. 
It took, I mean, look, Whole if you want me. Whole were going down the drain. I mean, I'm sure all of my practice exams have been burned at this point. Uh, yeah. Because there was yeah. a lot of red ink. So just taking away from that LSAT conversation, biggest tips, if you can, take a course. If not, find your friends, find resources, find people who have taken this uh, exam before to give you tips to self-studying, to also to give you the books. Because self-studying is smart studying. You need to get the best books. And some of them are just not good. And I'm just being honest with you. Also, time constraints. Focus on your timing. Smart studying also includes simulating test circumstances. Don't study under conditions that are completely different to your testing conditions because once you get in the test, once with your nerves and with your timing constraints, you're probably going to be a mess. And I'm so sorry to say, but that's how that happens. And it's really a, a test of time, both in taking the test and in preparing for the test. So the earlier you exactly. can start, the more time you have to really work on developing these skills, because they're skills. This Internalizing, isn't, for this sure. This isn't a, a test of any innate skills you have. It's a test of how well you're able to learn skills that are you know provided to you through exactly. instruction. Exactly. And although unfair, because some people have access to being able to learn them better than others, that's how it is. Uh, just just a last point to that. I studied for the LSAT for six months, so if anyone wants to know. I yeah. studied for it probably. I started thinking about the LSAT, like probably just like generally, two, at least two years out. Okay, that's But a I bit probably much. got really deep into it maybe the year before. So like a full year of studying probably got me to it. Yeah. And also one thing, um, try to stick to a study regimen that's that's kind of like normal to like what you do and like implementing it into your schedule so it's not completely just like throwing you off and you're not completely uncomfortable with like learning because they're again literally teaching you a new way to think but also once you start learning the processes stick to those processes and don't try to switch it up so certain certain test companies for example blueprint versus test masters will teach you like different ways to approach the questions you don't want to learn a whole bunch of ways stick find your way and stick to it Let's talk about the GPA issue really quick. Another important number to keep in mind. Yeah. A lot of people would say that the LSAT matters more than G- GPA. It, and it totally does. Rank yeah, more. it totally does. You is don't that, think so? So I, so I actually don't think that is entirely true. I think I that. I think so for sure. I think the LSAT, maybe the LSAT isn't as important as it used to be when it was the only well, I Well, in the same sense, it's still important because it's the only test that's taken by everyone across the board. So GPA, I think, is relative. I think it, I think I understand that in that, yes, of course, the LSAT was created specifically for law schools. One no, thing no, that that's I not my, heard, that's my thing. I think it's taken because, for example, GPA, okay, you can have a 4.0, and this is, I'm sorry to say this, you can have a 4.0 from Yale, and you can have a 4.0 from wherever community college. And so they're not necessarily able to use those GPAs as an indicator to your academic capabilities as opposed to the LSAT. Everyone's taking the exact same test and is testing the exact same things, logical and analytical and reading comprehension. Um, I mean, I don't think that it is as difficult to understand and to weigh the GPA because, of course, there are some schools that don't even have GPAs and folks are applying from them. Exactly. But one thing that I remember hearing, one thing I remember hearing was that your GPA and your LSAT kind of offset each other because what happens is people, from what we understand, law school admissions consultants basically create ratios and indexes based on your LSAT score and your GPA. So it's, for example, if you have a 3.7 GPA, which is a you know pretty high-ranking one, can get you into some really um, you know high-ranking schools, but you have a say 160-ish LSAT score, yeah. that might not serve you as well as if you had a 
three 3.0 GPA, which is probably a little bit lower than normal, but a 180 LSAT. Yeah, totally. I and I think that it matters in a way that it offsets your GPA, but when they're measuring GPAs against each other. But I think one thing with the GPA that is important for for getting you into a good law school is that you have more time and more opportunities to get a higher GPA. So for me, I thought about my GPA strategically, and I thought about how the courses I chose, honestly, how the major I chose was going to help me to have a really high GPA. So I had a 3.76, so mm-hmm. being an underrepresented minority, it made me significantly higher in terms of percentile rank. When I was in undergrad at UT Austin, I took sociology as my major, and I took specific courses that were going to make it a lot easier for me to keep a high GPA. That started firstly, though, with me being in high school and choosing to take AP courses. Mm-hmm. So I took AP courses and I also took community college courses, dual credit courses, over the summer before I started college. So what happened was that I entered my first year of undergrad as a sophomore. So I already had enough credits to complete and knock out one entire year of uh, grades, which actually for me meant fewer opportunities to screw up. Because if I had a whole extra year that I would have had to add and reduce my GPA by doing that, it actually would have made it a lot harder for me to get into a good school. I also took summer courses during the summers of college where I was able to maximize my GPA and ensure that I could take courses that got me an A and would help bring up my GPA over time. So, keeping all of that in mind, making sure that your LSAT and your GPA are popping, depending on which one is higher, you will change your technique and how you go about doing this, but make sure that you're focusing on both because both are really extremely important to getting you into the law school of your dreams. Exactly. Best of luck. Best of luck. <laughs> <laughs>